You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 247th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 833rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of April 7th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred today with the announcement that Hoosiers for Good, a name, image, and likeness group, announced deals with 14 Indiana athletes worth $470,000. This deal pairs the athletes with charitable organizations, and it has been reported that both Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson may get over six figures in the deals. They each struck a couple of deals. And while these deals cannot be contingent with enrollment decisions or continuing participation in Indiana athletics, these deals may make a difference in how athletes view decisions on eligibility and attendance currently and in the future. The charitable connections are an important piece to this NIL announcement as it helps young athletes financially, but also emphasizes involvement in communities and helping others. And as we step into this brave new world of NIL, uh, where a lot of the ways that athletes could be compensated previously that had been under the table has now gone above the table. It is obviously very encouraging for us as Indiana sports fans to see Indiana continue to be at the forefront and to be one of the leaders uh, in utilizing NIL for everything that it can do, you know, which is not just cynically, uh, you know, just to win more sports games, but it's to allow athletes to earn more of their market value. And hopefully uh, when done well, uh, to allow that to not just be, you know, the big revenue producing uh, sports, but also, you know, spread amongst different sports as Indiana is doing with Hoosiers for Good uh, and to also support the community as well, which Hoosiers for Good uh, is doing. So, you know, Hoosiers for Good is out there. Obviously, the Hoosier Hysterics, you know, have their NIL collective, uh, which is very much focused on, you know, helping to win basketball games and has been very successful in its own right. And what I think is particularly interesting is having different groups with different positioning, which is going to attract different types of donors. And what I love about Hoosiers for Good uh, and the way that it has positioned itself um, is, you know, because of the way that it is going to spread money around two different athletes, different sports, tie it to charitable causes, that may get some money that was on the sidelines waiting to be put in, uh, a little bit more excited about getting in right away. And obviously with $470,000, that money is already being put to work and to good use. So definitely a positive development for Indiana sports. All right, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for tonight. Andy and Ryan are both off. Uh, but Coach is here. Coach was originally planning on hosting, but he had some audio issues. It is all good. Fortunately, my son cooperated with bedtime, and I was able to get down here a little bit earlier than I thought. So it is all good. So let's uh, let's play a little intro music, shall we? He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your 
Coach, besides the nervousness of wondering if your audio equipment will cooperate, what is on your mind this evening? <laughs> well, when, when when your recording device updates and you don't double don't realize it and double check it, uh, you have to reset it a little bit. That's I found the problem, but I should have found that at eight forty five, not at nine oh five. So I apologize to everyone there for the the slow start. Uh, at least I don't think I cussed um, out loud. Uh, <laughs> to any of the viewers but um no I, I think for for an old guy the nil was something that was new and and it's just kind of hard to to wrap your head around uh, that you're, you're paying college players but once i took a a, a deeper look at it uh, when, when it first came out and realized that there are millions and millions and millions of dollars being made by college athletics and and this is a a small uh a piece of that that can go back and then this Hoosiers for good. Also, um, you know, the, the tie to charitable uh, events. And I know that we have a question about, is that just a facade uh, to, to make it seem a little bit better, but uh, if it's going to happen anyway, uh, I think there are legitimate businesses that can uh, contract with our athletes. But I also then think if uh, our athletes can support charitable causes and, and get paid for that uh, as well, I think that represents Indiana university, uh, rather well, but uh, for those people who are struggling with it, I was there once, uh, and, and I've just come around to realize that uh, I think this is fair, and and yes, it does open up uh, a, a lot of issues, but if your school is proactive and building these collectives, then that's a plus, and that's just taking advantage uh, of what we have in, in some of our graduates, some of our alums, some of our people who are concerned about Indiana basketball. So I think that was a, a banner moment uh, in, in what was the past weekend, and we'll get to a rather uh, stressful weekend with uh, a coach leaving and a, and a player uh, driving a little bit too fast. Um, not a little bit, but quite a bit fast. So I, I think that was a, a positive. Uh, we have a lot of good charities that are going on. I know um, you know, the Hoosier ticket project, uh, things like that need to be, uh, part of Indiana athletics. And I think that speaks well for the university. Absolutely. And Hey, if you want to hang banners in the future, you're going to have to get ready for NIL and play in that arena. So good to see that Indiana is doing it. All right. Here's what we have in store this week. There's a few Hoosier headlines that we want to go over. Uh, and so we are going to hit those and then, Look, it's the offseason, and we're still waiting on a lot of important roster decisions. And so we thought this would be a good time to just open up the mailbag. I know there were some old questions for a couple weeks ago we weren't able to get to, and we got a bunch of new questions. So this is just a good week for us to respond to the kinds of things that you guys are thinking about. And so we're going to spend segments two and three doing that and just uh, having a lot of fun because that's what we do here on the Assembly Call. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. And this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere with beloved logos, like two different versions of the bison. And man, was Homefield on apparel on point for the NCAA tournament or what? I mean, St. Peter's goes nuts, and like a day later, they've got St. Peter's joggers and St. Peter's shirts. The Strut of Destiny shirt is just fantastic. South Carolina wins it all. Kansas wins it all. They are ready with shirts right off the bat. I mean, watching the evolution of home field apparel 
from you know plucky little Hoosier proud Indiana gear to just being one of the leading college apparel uh, companies out there has just been something great to watch and we are so proud to work with them. Uh, and so whether you want something from Indiana or from one of their 120, 130 different schools, they've got something for everybody with unique vintage logos on everything. It's comfortable stuff. The colors are going to last through many washings. And you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. And there's really nothing better to do uh, with your hard-earned money than that. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay, uh, Coach, let's talk about some headlines. And there were a few of them. The first one, obviously, that has happened since our last episode is the Xavier Johnson story. Now, I assume most of the people listening to this in the offseason are diehards. Uh, and I'm sure that you probably all know this story with Xavier Johnson getting arrested for going 90 miles an hour down North Walnut, switching seats, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he has, you know, the, the latest update on this is he has an initial hearing Friday, I believe at one o'clock. And most of the folks that I have talked to or kind of seen report on this who have a legal background think that the charges will get reduced to non-felony level. Um, because one of the charges, I don't remember if it's the reckless driving charge or the resisting arrest charge is like a class F felony or something. It's like the lowest level felony. And so most people think that that will um, get lowered and he won't end up having a felony, but we'll wait and see. Um, what the outcome of that hearing is. I don't know about you, Coach. I don't want to get too into this on this show just because it's been talked about ad nauseum already. And we did, you and I did earlier this week, an hour and a half long Twitter spaces. Um, and if anybody wants to watch that, I can provide the link. I didn't put it in the podcast feed, but if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, I'd really like to hear that, because it was, I mean, I thought it was a really um, interesting, you know, 90 minutes. You know, we gave our thoughts. We had some uh, people who were there give their thoughts. It was interesting. I can put it in the podcast feed if you want. It's just kind of one of those stories. Now I think everybody knows the details and we're just waiting to see what happens. Um, so I don't have much more to say on it now that we didn't already say there that hasn't been said elsewhere. Coach, do you have anything uh, on that that we need to cover tonight? No, just waiting uh, the decision. And, and it might be, you know, the initial hearing and going through the legal process uh, to, to see um, – you know, what, what's going on. And, and I think we handled that the other night and got to a point where, um, you know, we just got to trust the, 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 the university and, and coach Woodson in, in making, making the decision. That doesn't mean there aren't concerns, uh, when, when your point guard, uh, got suspended for curfew and then your point guard gets arrested for reckless driving. That's the person who's supposed to be, um, you know, leading your team and leading your team next year. So, we're not trying to dismiss any concerns or, or, or say that it wasn't uh, a serious issue, but it, it's really something that we can speculate, but there's one of two things. He's going to be back with the suspension or he's going to be re uh, removed from the program. It's just going to be one of those two things. And we can address that when it happens. Yeah. I think we both went on record basically saying the same thing. You know, we don't want, it's one of those things that's kind of in the middle. You don't want to overdo it, but we certainly don't want to, um, you know, underrate the severity of what happened. You know, I think consequences are in order. Um, some kind of accountability is in order because he needs to learn a lesson and Mike Woodson needs to establish his culture. So we will wait to see what that is, what it means for the team, uh, and then have more to say about it at that point. Uh, the other big story uh, from this week, Coach, is Thad Mata uh, has moved on and he has taken a head coaching job at Butler. 
um, which is great. You know, Thad Mata is one of the best bas- college basketball coaches of the last 20 years, 30 years maybe, I guess, or however long it's been. You know, what he did at Butler, what he did at Ohio State. And so it's great to see him coaching again. It's great to see that he's healthy enough to coach. Um, and so that's all well and good. And I think, you know, everybody thinks that it's a home run hire for Butler, you know, obviously. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is we finally, for the first time, got some insight into his role at Indiana because, you know, Thad did not do any media availability um, while he was there. And I think that was very intentional because he wanted to make sure that Mike Woodson uh, was seen as the face and voice of Indiana basketball and didn't want any confusion there. Uh, and I think that was, I think the, the humility on Thad's part to do that, I think says a lot about him and why he has been so successful. Um, but, you know, we finally got some insight into, into what he did. Dustin Dupirak asked the question at the press conference and he answered, uh, and a couple of the nuggets that stood out, number one, you know, he suggested the Bahamas trip to Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson, obviously coming from the NBA was not steeped in knowledge of the NCAA rule book and all the things that you can and cannot do. And Thad realized that we hadn't been on a trip in more than four years and were able to do that. And obviously (laughs) Coach Woodson was very much ready to do that with his new team. And so, you know, that right there, just kind of knowing how college basketball operates and how important that opportunity is, that was very helpful from Thad. Uh, And I thought there were some interesting anecdotes just as they kind of went through the season of stuff that they had to remind Woody of that you just can't do. Like, you know, you can't pick up recruits in private jets or, you know, you can't, uh, you know, take them off campus for meals, that kind of stuff, which probably would have made for kind of a funny sitcom. You know, older NBA coach comes into comes into college basketball, you know, doesn't know all these rules, but has a nice support system around him to help guide him, you know, to not make any grave mistakes. And I think that's kind of the point that Thad made, which was you know, Woody was very open to that kind of feedback and did want to learn um, because he knew that there were a lot of things that he couldn't. And, you know, I think if he's spending all of his time just pouring over the rule book and memorizing all the rules, well, that's, you know, time obviously that he can't be coaching and doing some of that stuff. So we had to do enough to know to be able to pass whatever the test was. But that was part of that support system that helped guide him and guide Indiana basketball through a transition year. Um, and it was nice to finally get that insight because I think that's some of the stuff that we might have guessed or surmised, but no one had really talked about it. Um, and so whatever challenges there may have been there, you know, with their relationship, maybe when it came to the basketball part or who knows, you know, I mean, we don't really have any insight on that either. It was nice to get some of these concrete ideas for, okay, you know, what was Thad there doing? What was the value he provided? You knew it had to be something because a guy that's been around the block and that's successful, you know, he had to be providing value somewhere. And it was nice to get some of the specifics. Yeah, and it really it kind of opens you up to to the real purpose of, of that position is to be an administrative uh, assistant guide uh, through all the technical stuff that college basketball coaches need to do and, and, and that go between between the athletic department. I think a lot of us probably erroneously thought that it was going to be a strategy X and O game planning position. Uh, kind of just written into an AD's position when really it wasn't AD's position. It just was Thad Mata who who, who was in that position because it had been filled before. Bill, uh, I think Bill Komar uh, might have had that position. Jade Grossman, uh, I don't know if I got those names right, but I know the previous coaching staffs got to name the person who was in that position. So uh, that was good to see because 
sometimes our perceptions are wrong as fans because we're not in the arena. Uh, we're not in Cook Hall seeing what, what's going on. And when the performance on the floor uh, starts uh, struggling and you lose five games in a row, you wonder, you know, what's going on. And, and we, we don't know. So it was kind of a nice to just get, you know, reassured that the plan that was laid down actually kind of worked. Uh, it, it probably was us wanting it to be more uh, than what it was with, with Thad Mata. And the nice thing is, is that it, again, you help people. Uh, coach Mata is healthy now. And, and, you know, it's it's hard when you're a coach uh, and, and you leave for the right reasons, but there's always that hitch to get back in. Um, and, and if you can make it happen, you, you, you like to see coaches go back and do that. And we wish, I wish uh, Coach Mata nothing but the best. And, I, and we talked about this, I think, too, is there, there – there's no issue with Indiana basketball because he left. It's not like he was angry at his position or not getting along with the coaching staff or whatever. It's just, you have an option, uh, an opportunity to get back into the thing that you love uh, at the school where you played. That's, that's kind of a no brainer. If, if, if everything's okay health wise. And I think that's what we see. So I think Butler basketball made a great hire. Yeah, and he had some really nice things to say about Indiana and how much he enjoyed his time there and how much it meant to him to be a Hoosier. Um, and so I think, you know, all Indiana fans will be, you know, wishing him well as he goes on to Butler. Uh, he just, you know, you don't find too many people in college basketball that get talked about like Thad Mata. Like if you've heard Mark Titus talk about him, he just goes on and on about just what a good guy he is. You know, and you saw Trace and, you know, a few other people, you know, just tweet out, um, you know, Miller cop did thoughts about him. So he clearly made an impact and built relationships. And that, you know, seems to be the one thing that everybody talks about with him. So, you know, it's, I think it's, it's a kind of thing. I don't think it's going to, you know, devastate IU basketball that he's gone, but I have wondered a little bit, you know, since that press conference, you know, is, is him leaving going to, going to leave a little bit more of a hole than maybe we think, you know, just because of his experience and the relationships he can build, and just the presence that a guy like that can have. And we don't know. Um, but, you know, just given his success, you know, it's probably wise not to not to understate, you know, just what having a guy like that around can mean. And so, you know, will Indiana fill that role? Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but it was nice to, to get some of those details. Yeah. Uh, I think, too, if Coach Woodson can name the person that he feels comfortable with, too, yes, you lose Thad Mata and all that experience, but then you just can't, you can't speak enough about having a, a cohesive staff um, for the head coach. And, and, you know, are there things I think that coach Woodson needs to, to really concentrate on in this off season? Yes. And some things that we could possibly critique, but you got to give the guy his people and, and the Thad Mata thing wasn't a bad uh, attempt. And now we've had to change. But, boy, go to coach and say, who would you like in this role that can help you with the recruiting, with all of those things? Because even if you're a veteran coach, you need someone to stay on top of that, as you mentioned, so that yeah. you can pay attention to the other things. So I think that's what we saw with the other coaching changes. And it would be nice then, you know, to give Coach Woodson the best opportunity with the people he feels the most comfortable with uh, going forward. 
And the other big headline, as we covered in our banner moment, is the Hoosiers for Good NIL Collective uh, releasing its first round of deals. There were 14 deals in all. Race and Trace were the two basketball players uh, who were named. Uh, IU football players like Jack Tuttle and Matt Bedford were in there, along with Taiwan Mullen, uh, DJ Matthews, Sean Shivers, AJ Barner. Uh, I believe Grace Berger and Mackenzie Holmes were in there as well. Uh, and they're going to be working with uh, organizations like Riley's Children's Foundation and Indiana Wish and Habitat for Humanity. Um, Race and Trace will be working with Turnstone, which supports uh, children and adults with disabilities in Fort Wayne, as well as Stop the Violence Indianapolis. So obviously just from the names and the reputations of those organizations, a lot of really, really uh, good causes that are there. Uh, and so I think there's really a couple questions here, Coach, that this brings up. And I know this has been on a lot of people's minds. You know, it is interesting, obviously, that Trace and Race both signed deals with two different organizations at a time where their futures at Indiana are very much in doubt. Uh, and I think I, like everybody else who saw that article come out, are wondering what that means. You know, does this mean that they're coming back? Because why would these organizations sign NIL deals with these players if they're not coming back? You know, what I would say, and I talked to a few people about this, um, it's, look, having deals like this and having the opportunities to make money like this that Trace and Race are going to have, having spent a combined, what, seven years on campus now, you know, building up their reputations, being people that you know you can trust because they do the right things on the court, they do the right things off the court. I mean, any of these organizations would be lucky to have these two guys representing them. That is going to weigh heavily, I think, you know, on their minds in the pro column when it comes to coming back to Indiana. And that's what these deals represent. But, you know, as you mentioned in the banner moment that you wrote, you know, NIL deals cannot be struck contingent on your coming back, right? Like we couldn't go to Tamar Bates and say, hey, we'll re-up the inside scoop with Tamar Bates for X amount of dollars, but you have to, you know, you have to come back, right? Or it's it's not on. You can't do it like that. Um, and so... You know, so I'd be careful to think, oh, they signed these deals, they're for sure coming back. You know, these guys have stature. Whether they're here or not, these organizations are going to benefit from whatever race and trace can do with them, whether they're here, playing in the NBA, doing whatever. So I don't think it necessarily means for sure they're coming back. But what I do think has developed in the time since the season ended is whereas I was pretty pessimistic about the possibility of either guy coming back, Everything that you hear and just all the little tea leaves that you can see suggests that it's much more likely than we may have thought. And now we have to wait and see. And a guy like Trace is probably going to go through the NBA process. And who knows? A guy like Race might go in the transfer portal and see what's out there. We don't know. But striking these deals and having these opportunities there, it changes the equation for guys like that. You know, they have, they could both play professional basketball next year, but could they? play and earn as much as they can now from NIL and have a platform like they have at Indiana? I don't know. And so that that makes it a much more kind of level playing field for a decision. And it seems like now as we sit here on April 7th, without knowing for sure what either guy is going to do, it's starting to seem like much more of a real possibility that one or both of them could come back. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to take this in two ways, Jared. One, I think it, it, it speaks volumes for race's possibility of coming back because then he could re up again uh, at the end of next year. They had said they wanted to sign in the fall and in the spring. And if he's back, there's some other deals that, that obviously could go on. And that's pretty good money 
and then for playing basketball and being beloved uh, at a place. I'm not sure it's an automatic stay for uh, Trace Jackson Davis because he has the ability to help these charities and help his NIL deals. If he goes and gets a late second round draft pick, that's still beneficial. Uh, and that's just kind of the first deals he gets then as a pro. So I, I think he still is probably more likely to go through the process. Race is going to have to decide, you know, is this a deal that's worthy enough for me to, to stick around? But, but the second thing is that I, I came around on was this. I think it's good for college basketball in general because a lot of young people might want to leave and go overseas at least and, and start making some money or try to go to the G league or try to go early. And then we had, there were so many young men that would not get drafted and their professional opportunities were shut down right away. And then they couldn't come back to college. There might be across college basketball. Now opportunities for people to stay three, four years, a couple years longer than they normally would, which increases the yeah. talent across college basketball and then specifically at Indiana if if a guy like race decides you know what I like Indiana it's been good to me I, I'm now making some money I want to stay again it's going to make Indiana basketball better uh the old way for me is all oh, that we're playing you know we're dropping bags of money at AAU tournaments that's what it seemed like uh for for people my my age uh but now it's it's an incentive to maybe stay a little bit longer th than you would. And I think that's a, a possible uh, good thing for Indiana and for, for college basketball. And that is a strength, I think, of our, our brand, too. I know Indiana struggled for 20 years, and we're all fighting to get it back. But we're still seen as a blue blood um, by a lot of people. There was a discussion at the Final Four, is Villanova a blue blood? And there was not a discussion about kicking Indiana out of that. Uh, it was just, are you going to add Villanova to that? Th that's still cool. Um, and so there are people who want to have the athletes advertise and be a part of, of what they do business-wise. So if that's a strength, then then we need to go go forward with it. But uh, th this is just, it's a different time. Uh, and if you're going to play the game, you might as well jump in and play the game as well as you possibly can. Uh, even if you, you feel like it's not, <laughs> the right game you got to play it we'll get to that in a second because we got a good question about that from melissa but the other point i want to make on this is you know look the transfer portal is changing a lot of things about the college basketball offseason right you know players can transfer without sitting out a year it feels like there's free agency i see nil as a counterweight to the transfer portal for this reason the equity that you build at a particular campus matters like race thompson has been here for a while and Indiana fans love race and respect him. We know him. His weight carries something in this community, even though he's not from here originally. And the same thing is true for Trace. And so that makes them more attractive to companies or organizations that want someone promoting them, that has some authority, and whose word is going to carry weight. And I don't, I don't want to pick on him. I'm just using him as an example. Take a look at Rob Finnessy who similarly has built up a lot of equity at Indiana, but now he's going to transfer somewhere else and he doesn't have that same equity. Is he as popular or as likely to get an NIL deal as a race Thompson is, or as he would be here at Indiana? I don't think so. And that means that the longer a guy is at a school, there's going to be more of a pull for him to stay 
because his word is going to matter more. Now, there, you know, if race goes to Minnesota where he's going back home, like I get there can be exceptions. But I think in general, it's really going to make a difference if a guy is around for a little while and actually make it more likely for him to stay because he's going to get better NIL deals. That just makes sense with how this stuff is going to go. And you're seeing it with Trace and Race. And so I think this example now that Indiana can point to and having these different collectives popping up this is really going to be valuable for recruiting because Mike Woodson can't go into a family's living room and say, come here, we're going to set you up with this $100,000 deal. They can't do that. But what they can say is, come here, look what Trace got. Look what Race got. Look at these opportunities that we have with these different collectives. There's lots of different options out here for you because this community you know, loves investing in its basketball players. It's going to really matter. So, And I like it from the standpoint of giving guys who have been around at a place more incentive to stay there. That's a good thing for college basketball. And that leads us into this question, which will end our first segment here. And this comes from Melissa. Um, and look, this is a sentiment that I think a lot of people have. She says, isn't Hoosiers for good a carbon copy of horns with heart, supposedly altruistic, but is really using charity facade to enable pay for play and NIL no-no, regardless of what Glass says. I thought it was a scam when it was UT, and I'm not sure I should feel any differently now. All I'm saying is I feel like, no, I know if this was Kentucky, we'd all feel like this is a tricky way to skirt rules to create a slush fund for athletes. It feels like a very Kentucky thing to do, a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge. And my response to that would be, if we didn't have these NIL rules, you know, and we were learning about this through back channels, and it was against the rules, then that would make it unethical, and that would be wrong. But this is all above board. And essentially what you're seeing here, you know, what Hoosiers for Good has tapped into, is this is money that has been sitting on the sidelines ready to support Indiana athletics and hasn't gotten in there that now is going to the athletes who have worked hard to deserve it. And look at all the names, you know, that are on there. Now you've got a Sean Shivers who hasn't been, you know, at IU very long, but a lot of those other people have been there and built equity in Bloomington. And it's going to support good causes. And so I don't see it as the same thing. I see this as being able to tap into money that is clearly there and ready to support Indiana athletics and trying to find as balanced and productive a way to kind of use that capital as you can. So I, I understand what Melissa's saying. And I think in a different era and under a different set of rules, she has a good point. I just don't think it applies to the new era of college basketball. And the quicker we all get around to that, and I think there's a certain portion of Indiana fans that are maybe slower to come around to that than others, and we come by that honestly and naturally, but we've got to start shaking ourselves out of that and realizing that, you know, what the hysterics are doing, what Hoosiers for Good is doing, they're taking two different angles to kind of hit at the same thing, but that's a good thing. Um, and I think overall this is going to be a good thing for – the athletes, for the companies that are involved, and the community that they both serve. Yeah, and, and the thing that you said there is, is above the board because, you know, there there is a lot of money going under the table and, and a lot of vehicles showing up on college campuses around, you know, college athletics for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of years. And, and now it's just um, people who might – want to do that now have to go above the board and there still are rules and things that need to be followed. Uh, it took me a while, Melissa, to, to come to grips with it too, because you, you, um, 
buying players or a minor league, if they're getting a, a salary or something, I, I do believe that it is an educational uh, situation and you're playing for your school. Uh, it, it took me a long time uh, to, to wrap my head around it and be okay with it. Uh, but I eventually got there and, and I think it's really um, uh, a good thing for Indiana University. Absolutely. So, Melissa, thank you for for sending that in. I, I do think it's something that a lot of people are thinking, so I appreciate the opportunity uh, to address it. Okay, coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, uh, we're still awaiting more official roster announcements that we can sink our teeth into, and we're very much looking forward to doing that once they come. But in the meantime, let's answer questions. So it is Ask Us Anything time. Starting next, stick with us. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right. Well, nice to see everybody here. All I know is I just looked over at the chat, and the first little note that I saw is Joel saying, I used to hang out with Armand Bassett and Jamarcus. <laughs> and now, now I need stories, Joel. <laughs> now he hangs out with Coach Tonsoni at baseball games. Yes. I don't know which, which is who's worse. Who's rowdier? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know who's um, rich. Hey, I wanted to address something real quick, um, just because I saw it addressed in here. So I don't know, Coach, if you listened to the, the most recent uh, Crimson cast. They had no, uh, Matt Cohen not. and Griffin Gonzalez and Grace Ibarra on, all three of whom I have so much respect for uh, as student journalists who do a good job. And they were talking about the Xavier Johnson thing. Um, you know, and Matt made a point of talking about how there was a Twitter spaces done, you know, and how he really didn't think that that was a good thing. You know, basically, you know, kind of like here are the old IU fans, um, you know, kind of overreacting to the story. And this kid got in trouble. You know, why are we promoting it and continuing to talk about it? He didn't mention, I have no idea if he was talking about the hysterics one or ours. I would say he was probably lumping the two together because if he had a problem with one, he probably had a problem with the other since we talked about essentially the same thing. And I know there were a couple comments about it in the chat, and I want to address it real quick simply to say this. To Matt and to the person who had a problem with it in the chat, I hear you, and I don't think that you're off base to say that because I think there is there's a valid criticism of saying hey, you know, this college athlete got in trouble. You know, he did this thing that other, you know, college athletes might do. Like, why are you trying to leverage it into content and attention, which even if that's not our goal, is still part of what's happening. And so viewed from that perspective, I do get it. The reason why we talked about it anyway, and the reason why we decided to do a Twitter Spaces on it, is... I thought there was a lot of bad opinions being put out about it that were, you know, two sides running to either pole. And in this case, I thought that was extremely unfair to Xavier and just to the conversation in general. 
And so in that case, I thought we could offer a useful perspective to help guide the conversation toward the middle and then also hear people out. And fortunately, all the people who were on that Twitter space with us were extremely reasonable. And I thought that whole conversation went well. Um, but I, I kind of weighed those same thoughts. It's like, do, should we really be talking about this? But I think sometimes, and I guess you can get in a little bit of trouble on Twitter, taking that as like what the discourse is, because there can just be a few yahoos on there that make it seem like the conversation is more polarized than it is. Um, but I know, you know, we just, we try to use our platform when we can to help guide a conversation in a supportive direction. And that's what we were trying to do. So, you know, if you have a problem with it and you think that's not something a show like ours should be addressing, I actually think you have some merit and I get it. Um, and we do think about those things. Um, but in this case, that's why we wanted to address it. And hopefully we did it in a responsible way that even if X or anybody else listening to it, um, you know, wouldn't have a big problem with, but that's why we did it. Um, and, you know, those are the decisions that we always kind of reflect on and try to make sure we're making the right ones. Um, but I just wanted to kind of give our thoughts there on that. Um, all right. Coach, are we ready to uh, jump into some questions here? Yes. Yes, we are. Okay. Yeah, my issue, Jared, I think Audio Hijack updated and I needed to have a settings for the headphones because when mm, I clicked yes. out and I, I shut off hijack, it said external headphones are not part of your output. And all I did is go back in and add it. And yeah, I didn't know it updated or I knew it and didn't think about adding the headphones back in. So my Whenever bad. those things update, man, it creates so many <laughs> problems. <laughs> Jeez. I know I'd never update right before a show because it always creates. Well, and I did. I didn't think I did. Um, oh. It's just one of those you just assume it worked last week or two weeks ago, but yeah. it obviously must have updated. So we're good. Uh, all right, <clears throat> cool. Well, let's hit these. And, uh, you know, we got some questions sent in ahead of time, but chat mob, we will be responsive to you as well. So toss your questions in there too, or your follow-up questions, and we will hit those. All right, coach, here we go. Hey guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know I have never listened to the assembly call, and to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. I don't know if I would give anything, but I would give a lot to have Ryan be an official for one game. Like, just throw him out there in in the stripes for a college basketball game, kind of like how Titus and Tate got to announce a game. I would love to see Ryan just thrown out there and see how <laughs> see how he did as an official and how many how many calls we disagree with. <laughs> that would be great comedy, I think. He he could come do a Western game. Now, that would be funny. <laughs> okay, tonight's episode, uh, in addition to being sponsored by Homefield Apparel, the presenting sponsor of the Back Home Network, it is also sponsored by Superior Insulators, owned by longtime listener and IU season ticket holder Brad Brosmer. And, you know, we've been telling you about all the great work that Brad's company has done installing air barrier systems and spray foam for the IU Excellence Academy, how they also worked on the IU football locker room, Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings on campus. Well, that work is all the more impressive because they aren't even based in Bloomington. 
But now, thanks to the recent acquisition of spray foam insulators, they will be able to grow the service, their service in the Bloomington market more efficiently through local teams and support, and it helps them achieve their long-term objective of having a physical presence in Bloomington. So if you are anywhere in Southern Indiana, because they don't just serve Bloomington, they serve all of Southern Indiana, and if you need residential or commercial insulation, visit insulators.com to learn more and schedule your appointment. That's insulators, I-N-S-E-A-L, like seal, uh, aters, A-T-O-R-S.com to learn more. Uh, and thank you, Brad, for your continued support of our show. Okay, coach, we got a bunch of questions from our private discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. And we hope that as many of you as possible will join um, because we have a great conversation over there. It's behind a paywall because we want to make sure that it's serious uh, and reasonable IU fans only. And I think we've done a pretty good job of of curating that, that discussion over there. Uh, so come join us, assemblycall.com slash community. This first question, Coach, comes to us from Julie. And she says, do you think the amount of time it's taking for news of A, Trace's decision, and B, Xavier's consequences, lean toward both players suiting up with the team next season? That That's a good question. Uh, TJD is going to wait until June 1st if he's going to test out the, the pros. We, you can wait that long. So I don't think the lack of news about TJD is defining, uh, by, nor do I think his signing the NIL. I think TJD is still up in the air and we'll be getting a lot of information. I've seen him on uh, draft boards late in the second round. I've seen him not in the top 50 or 60. So I think he's going to probably and should go through the process. I think any young man in that situation should go through the process, but I believe June 1st is the day he has to pull back out. Um, so we're not probably going to know for some while on, on TJD. Um, and I just don't know about the news with, 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 um, X's situation. You know, I think what I'm gathering is they're just going to let the legal things work out. I know they've had some discussions, uh, you know, in the, in cook hall and, and in the athletic department and everything. And, and it's wise sometimes to, to not make a, a really rush rash decision based on emotion, but get all the facts, see where this is going, where this is headed, uh, and then be able to to make your decision. So, yeah, Julie, I don't think we can read much into the lack of news, meaning they're back or meaning they're gone. It's just lack of news. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. You know, Ken says, do you think it's a little bit strange that we have heard nothing aside from the initial acknowledgement from Coach Woodson relating to the issue of, of Xavier Johnson and what that likely means as to what the resolution would be? I don't really think it's strange. I don't think Mike Woodson is sitting around stressing over telling the fans anything. You know, this is the one thing that that we talked about on the Twitter spaces was, you know, the audience for this decision is current and future players and recruits and their families. Fans will get the decision when they get it, but there's no, there's no real, I guess, benefit or drawback to giving the announcement now or giving it on November 1st and saying, hey, Xavier Johnson's going to miss the first three games. From the program's perspective, does it make a huge difference either way? Not really. It makes a difference to us just because we want stuff to talk about and we want to know. So I just, I wouldn't read anything into it, honestly. I just, let's just get the information when we get it. Um, I guess I would say, you know, at some point, if you're going to dismiss him, you would do that soon, probably so he can find another opportunity so you can find other point guards. That's probably the one thing I would read into it is if they were going to dismiss him, that probably would have happened or will happen soon. 
But other than that, I just don't know that you can read much into it. So, uh, but thank you for those questions. From Joey, oh gosh, prefacing this question that this is very much a hypothetical, but assuming Trace Jackson Davis returns and that you can only have one on our roster moving forward, would you prefer one more year of Race Thompson or Jordan Geronimo for the rest of his college career? And I groaned because I've dreaded kind of answering this question. Yeah, it's not fun like being in this them. position. I, yeah. um, the basketball answer is Race Thompson because he's demonstrated – uh, a level, a high level of play on both ends. Um, that that I think has to be the basketball answer. You'd really want everyone to come back and and then find minutes for for everyone. But in this hypothetical situation, uh, you you take race because you know that there was one point we thought he was the best player um, there right before he had a, a little bit of a, a swoon. You just can't. You don't discourage people like that from coming back if they want to come back or, or choosing someone else when you know that's what you have. Race is just a quality quality basketball player. The, the real question uh, for Joey, the real answer is, um, I like both Trace Jackson Davis and Race. It might be better to have just one of them come back and play the five and, and free up minutes for Geronimo and keep Geronimo in the program and, and, you know, again, that's an awful situation to be as, as a commentator because you want everyone back because they're solid basketball players. But I think Indiana basketball needs to get uh, more fluid in their fours and their fives. And, and even though we have good um, in-the-lane fours and fives in race and Trace Jackson Davis, we just watched the final four where um, you had a four and Brady Manick just light up the three-point line and – and you had fours for Kansas and, and that that's where college basketball is. And, and, you know, so I think the quicker Indiana can get to those type of athletes, the better the program would be. But I really don't want to rush anyone out because they're top performers. It's a really hard question. And it's interesting because for as emphatic as you just answered it, everybody in the chat who answered said Geronimo by a wide margin. Geronimo for sure, as if it's not even a question. And it's it's interesting because you're right. Until about midway through February, Race Thompson had been the best player on this team, the most consistent, the best on both ends, game to game. Now, he really struggled at the end, and Trey showed why he has the higher ceiling as a player because when he plays like he did at the end of the season, he's one of the best players in the country. You know, and Race fell off, and we saw some of what Jordan Geronimo can do in the Michigan game. You know, and in, in some of these other games where he was able to come out and really show himself. And he's a guy who, you know, played less than 30% of the minutes last year. And so, you know, how much better can he be with more minutes? I get all of that. But it's tough because, you know, Race Thompson has proven it. And he's kind of the guy like we know what we're going to get from Race if he comes back next year and maybe like a, a, a half tick better in those areas. Jordan Geronimo has the potential and could take two or three steps forward you know, and has a higher ceiling than race, but it's a, it's a difficult, it's a really difficult question. I guess if you made me answer this question and I had to pick just one of those guys, I would probably err on the side of Jordan Geronimo because he's got an extra year of eligibility. And so that might make it. But if you asked me just for next year, I think we run the risk of overrate or underrating all the little things race Thompson does by saying that it's obvious that we would go with Jordan Geronimo. I get all the arguments for Jordan Geronimo, 
but I think it's it's just too easy to ignore so many of the little things that Race Thompson uh, is able to do. Um, so it's difficult. I would yeah. love to see, and I you know who knows how likely it is, obviously, for the three of them to come back. Um, but I think it would be great to try and see that work uh, again. And I guess we'll get to this with a future question, especially if Mike Woodson went away from the you know the the line changes. And then if you could play race at the five when Trace goes out and play Jordan at the four when race is out uh, and give Jordan some minutes at the three and just go with this huge, massive lineup that can dominate the offensive glass, like it would give Indiana a way to play a lot of different ways. Now, the one way I think Indiana is going to struggle to play next year, and we will get to this in a future question, is as a great three-point shooting team. I mean, unless we have, you know, unless we get some great shooter from the portal, this is not shaping up to be a great shooting team next year. And so I think what Indiana needs to do is double down on the stuff it's proven to be really good at, which is playing really good defense, you know, maybe getting some more offensive rebounds uh, and just being really athletic and active. And Jordan Geronimo certainly helps you do that. Um, but anyway, I've been dreading that question. Um, it, it, you know, here's the thing. And here's the reason why I don't like the question. And here's the reason why... You know, some of the discussion out there about, you know, Indiana needs trace and race to go. They need to modernize and all of this stuff. Like, I think there are ways to have that conversation in a respectful way. But to me, like those guys have now put in so much time and they've proven themselves to be good basketball players and they've put some skins on the wall by getting to the NCAA tournament. I'm just not going to be that dismissive of them. Like they showed us they can get some things done. Um, and that means something to me. And so that's why I don't like this question um, because it kind of makes you pick against one of these guys. And the truth is I could argue for all of them and whether one, two or three stays, Indiana is going to be better for each one that stays. So that's my answer, um, you know, for whatever that's worth. It's hypothetical. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, but it's hypothetical, but we're putting things out there publicly, you know, and to me, I think about that. Like what if someone's listening to this, it's like, I don't want to talk bad about any of these, those three guys. They all bring good things to the table. And I think a good coach and a good system should be able to absorb all those three guys as players and build a winning team around them. Right. There's, there's the key is the system. Yes. Y you have talented guys uh, find what they do well and put them in positions to succeed and build your system. You know, you, you do have a system and you can recruit to it, but you also need to maximize the players that you have and that's the one thing that Indiana and Coach Woodson really needs to focus on is offensively, until the last four or five games, they were over 100 in Ken Palm, and they ended up 90, 95th in Ken Palm, which I've said it over and over again, is the third worst offensive performance by an Indiana basketball team in the Ken Palm era. Um, they need to work on getting better. Uh, the players need to get better. The system needs to get better. The coaching decisions need to get better offensively. So all the other things that have been working, the defense, the recruiting, all of that can can help um, move Indiana. But you can't you can't have that kind of offensive output um, uh, again. Okay. That is a perfect lead-in to our next question, and it is the mediocre question. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's. Question. So let's tie this all together, Coach. From Jay, let's assume for a second that IU returns a very similar roster, i.e. TJD, Race, Cop, etc., 
with maybe another addition and subtraction. Do you think IU can significantly improve on an offense that was 74th in the country this year and 11th in the Big Ten, according to T-Rank, and lower than that, according to Ken Palm? So similar roster. Can this offense significantly improve, and what is the path to that improvement? Um, two, two things. Yes, it can, and yes, it must. Um, it, and the thing that, that – that gives me a little bit of excitement is I, I thought the offense really clicked the last 11 games in Indiana only went five and six in those games. So it, it clicked, but it needs to even click at a higher, higher level. Um, but it, you know, I know you can go back to Torvik and set the time period and see where the ranking was uh, on the, on the T rank, but Indiana really played a lot better. And that showed the growth of coach Woodson and he's getting advice from all kinds of people and he made the changes. He has to dive into that kind of stuff, bring those people in, uh, watch film, do all those things that he did throughout the season to get it up to 95. Uh, that shows that there was improvement within the season. There has to be a huge amount of improvement, uh, in, in whatever it was that was the causes, whether it be the substitutions, the, you know, the, the, the lack of second side drivers, all of those things that, that we talked about, those are real. And, and coaches know, uh, coaches know when you have a squad that's not getting things done. I think the emphasis was laid in the off season with defense and it showed, I think we were 24th overall defensively, but yes, they can. How do you do that? I think you have to have more athletes. The one common thing, Jared, of the last 11 games was Rob came back uh, he provided some some spark defensively, which creates easier opportunities on the offensive end. Galloway was a second side driver, even though he didn't shoot well and made some questionable decisions, but he he put pressure uh, on the defense. And then Geronimo exploded with offensive rebounds and and hitting a few shots and and being a real bouncy guy. It, the college game, and I know you mentioned the thing about modernized, but it's ath athletes. And I, I thought Indiana's athleticism was not one of its strengths, uh, especially in, in the, in the starting lineup. And, and that got exposed for a while. And once the team got healthy and some of those athletes came back in and you're adding athletes and Jalen hood, Shafino and, and banks, they're going to be at different levels and ready at different times as all freshmen are, but boy, they fit that mode of, of athletes. That's why you do want a Geronimo to, to stick around because of his athleticism. That's the key. Uh, and you had some stats in there about approving the two point shooting percentage. You do that. We don't have a bad shot maker. We don't have a guy to drive in the lane, float over two people and score in crunch situations enough to get you six, eight, 10 points throughout a game at the two point level. We need to free up the post and do better stuff in the post to get better angles because our post players don't shoot well unless they're dunking the basketball. So there's a lot of things, you know, the, the, the information you had in here, the two point shooting needs to get better. And we all know the three-point shooting needs to get better. But you do that with more athletes so you can you can attack closeouts. You, you can drive and kick and do some things, uh, be fast off screens and off stagger doubles. Those are the things that I think Woodson will study and put in. He did it later in the year. He needs a lot more of it. That's the path, I think, to improving the offense. And we do project, I think, to have a roster that's going to be more athletic this year. And, anyway, you know, the first thing I'll say, you know, Indiana does need to improve offensively, but you know, for the team to get better, they just need to improve overall. You know, you have to improve your efficiency and you can do that by improving your defense, by improving your offense, whatever. And so I, to me, 
you know, if if it's a very similar roster coming back in year two of this defense with, you know, a guy like Jalen hood Shafino taking some of Parker Stewart's minutes and some of the athleticism that you're bringing in with some of the new guys, Indiana was good defensively, first in the Big Ten, but only 24th overall in Ken Palm. There's no reason this can't be a top 10 defense. So you're going to be better right there. But talking about the offense, I think... You know, the first thing that we all point to and that we're all desperate to see is can we get better at using the three-point line? Like, Lord have mercy, allow us to use the three-point line because it just makes college basketball easier. You know, and I went through, you know, the top 10, top 20 in Ken Palm, and it's like, okay, Gonzaga and Kansas and Baylor and Arizona, not all of them are elite three-point shooting programs, but they're all above average to good, right? And Indiana has not been there for a while. So can this program get there? You know, last year, Indiana shot 31.9% in conference play from the three-point line. That was 13th in the conference, and we were 13th in attempts. So we just didn't use the three-point line well, which puts a lot of pressure on the rest of your offense. Is there a path to significant improvement there? Because if you become a lot better from three, that is the quickest line to more efficient offense, assuming that none of the other stuff takes too big of a drop. Well, Parker Stewart and Rob Finnessy are departing. Combined, they shot 31.5% from three in conference play, which is almost identical to the team percentage of 31.9%. So for as scared as we are about Parker Stewart leaving because he was our most reliable three-point threat, Rob Finnessy is also going, who was not a reliable three-point shooter. And in a way, they almost cancel each other out, unless you were expecting you know, a lot of improvement from Rob as a three-point shooter. So how can Indiana improve this number? Right? How can we get better than this 31.9% number? Well, is Xavier Johnson likely to improve on his 36.1% three-point shooting? I mean, it's possible theoretically if you're getting him more catch-and-shoot threes, but you look at his history. I think if you told me I could bank 36.1% from three for X right now, which is what he did in conference play, I'd probably take that. <laughs> you know, I would book that right now. Tamar Bates shot 27.3%. Trey Galloway shot 26.3% from three. Those two do figure to get better. The question is how much? Seems like Tamar probably has a higher ceiling than Trey, but I think both of those guys could improve, and you probably need them to. What about Race? He was 28.9%. Jordan Geronimo was 23.1%. I think there's room for growth there, but neither one of those guys is a high, you know, a high enough volume shooter probably to make a huge difference. And then you look at Miller Cop, who shot 35.1% from three, which is basically right at his career average of 35.8%. So he might be a little bit better, but how much better? I mean, he has a pretty demonstrated track record. And then, you know, the new guys, Hood Shafino, CJ Gunn, Caleb Banks. We all have high hopes for those guys, but shooting tends to be the thing guys really struggle with early on. And so, you know, I'm not sure any of those guys really move the needle for Indiana from three-point range. So I say all this to say, I don't see a clear path to us getting better as a three-point shooting team. It could happen if a lot of guys get better, but we haven't seen that kind of player development in this program, so I'm not going to bank on it. So that, to me, isn't the most likely place where you get better. I think, Coach, what you talked about, you know, in the second year of an offense, guys getting more comfortable, if we can take some of that comfort that we saw at the end of last year, what X and Trace were doing in the pick and roll, you know, and some of Indiana's abilities to run different sets and get guys open looks, if we can do that, I think there is a lot of meat on the bone for the two-point field goal percentage to get better. Because I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that we shot 48.2% from two in conference play, which was 11th in the Big Ten. 
I mean, this team made the NCAA tournament 11th from two-point percentage and 13th from three-point percentage. You know how hard it is to win basketball games shooting that badly? But, you know, Trey shot 54.2% overall from two. Overall. But from the Purdue game on, he was 62.9%. And that was against some really tough matchups. You know, is there any reason if you've got him and X together for another year and he's really locked in for his final season that he can't shoot 60-plus percent from two? I don't think so. And so I think that's an area where he'd get better. Tamar Bates was 25.6% from two. And you talked about who's a guy who can get in the lane and make tough shots. I think we all believe Tamar can be that guy. Some more strength, some more comfort, some more, you know, a more established role so he doesn't have to rush when he's out there. There's a lot of things pointing to improvement from him. And I think he could take a big jump. You know, Rob and Parker are leaving. None of, you know, neither one of those guys was efficient from two. And while I'm not ready to, you know, again, anoint Jalen Hood-Shafino or any of those guys as great shooters, I do think, you know, Hood-Shafino and Trey Galloway and Anthony Leal and C.J. Gunn and Jordan Geronimo, they can be better than the 37% that you got from Parker Stewart and Rob Finnessy. And, you know, then you got Miller Kopp there, who was a better shooter than I think what he showed last year. And so I think that, to me, is the path. With better athletes, another year in the system – I think Indiana can become better at converting inside the line, help compensate for what they don't do behind the line. And then I think if you're going to have, especially if you get Geronimo back, if you get Race back, if you get Trace back, you're going to have an advantage athletically. And I think you're going to have to play to that strength. You know, you may not be able to be a high-volume three-point shooting team, but offensive efficiency can come in a lot of different ways. And one great way that you can – produce more points in your possessions is to get offensive rebounds. And Indiana only rebounded 25% of their misses in conference play. That was 11th in the conference. I mean, every offensive number is just so bad. But, you know, I think Jalen Hood-Shafino will be a better rebounder than Parker Stewart and Rob Finnessy, who are two of our worst rebounders. Jordan Geronimo, if he gets more minutes, he was our best offensive rebounder. And he's not coming back to Indiana to play fewer minutes. So you'll get more offensive rebounding from him. I think Trace rebounded better. So... And if you're getting more offensive rebounds, you're theoretically getting more, you know, high percentage twos. And so those two things work together. So that's my answer is the path to being better offensively is number, you know, number one, it's year two in the system. Everybody should be more comfortable. But I think there's a, a, a lot of like clear, you can see it. This team can get better from two point percentage and you don't have to squint to see it. There's a lot of meat on the bone from an offensive rebounding perspective. That will make them better. But Jay's question was, can the offense be significantly better? That's where I think Indiana would have to improve from a three-point shooting percentage, and I'm not ready to predict that or say that I see a clear path to it. Which then begs the question, okay, then what is the ceiling for this team next year? And I would say, you know, the ceiling, if everything goes well defensively and you get some of those improvements offensively, you could be what Texas Tech was this year or a poor man's version of what Texas Tech was. They finished seventh in Ken Ponder. They had the number one defense in the country, 42nd offense, and they didn't use the three-point line well. But they converted on twos. They got offensive rebounds. They were tough. They were athletic. And they were a really good team that took Duke down to the wire. You know, But you start looking at the profiles of the teams that were in the top 10, the top 15 – that's kind of the one that maybe most closely resembles what this Indiana team could be. And there would be no shame in being, you know, that good of a team in Mike Woodson's second year. And I just think it's going to take more cycles of recruiting and a guy like CJ Gunn getting older, 
for the shooting to really change. I hope to be proven wrong on that. I just don't see a path to it right now with the personnel that we had last year and that we were projecting to come back. But that doesn't mean that the offense can't get better because I think there's still a lot of ways for the offense to get better if it plays to its strengths, which it did more down the stretch. Yeah, it, it, and really, the offense was disappointing, um, to, to say the least, this year. And, you know, Indiana at one point was sitting around a 6-7-8 seed range and lost some games, even with an offense that struggled, lost some games that they should have won. Um, and and maybe that the offense was the reason, you know, the you know, but I, you can think of, you know, they they're probably under under five hundred in games that were tight um, or, or games that should have won when you're up twenty at, at halftime and and so forth. And and so slightly better offense could win those games win those games and you're not battling, you're not playing in Dayton, you're not an 11 seed, you're, you're up a, a level to the seven, eight, nine seed uh, range until you can get shooters and, and, and the athletes and, and that into, into the program. I, I think, I think, yes, that is, that is where Indiana is headed. And, and I always say this, if you get in the, in the six, seven seed range, you're a top 25 team. I think if Indiana is a top 25 team, they're getting some love uh, nationally uh, in, in some preseason way too early polls. That's where we would like to see Indiana get, if not higher, obviously we'll take it. But I think that's where, where we're headed. And the nice thing from my vantage point is if you have that defense, you're always going to have uh, have a shot. I know the St. Mary's game and a couple games got away from Indiana defensively. You'll have those, but when you have a defensive-minded program, you can withstand some some difficulties in offense, and it just takes it, it takes some special players to get that offense up to the 30, 40 uh, ranked in, in Ken Palm, and I don't know that that's going to happen in, in year two, uh, but it does need to move in that direction. So I'm really big on scheme. Uh, you know, where are the shots coming from? How are you getting baskets at the rim? Those are things that we're really going to have to look at early next year to see how Coach Woodson has changed that up if the roster is similar. And look, the you know, that equation that I just kind of laid out there could change. Obviously, if Trace isn't there, that, you know, they're going to have to find some different ways to get offense. So this was under that assumption that those guys are coming back. The other thing I will say, you know, I because I, I posted about this in the community, and a lot of people said, well, what about free throw shooting? You know, we left a lot of points at the line. This is very true. And don't get me wrong, this program needs to improve from a free throw shooting perspective. And, you know, they're probably not going to have a defensive free throw percentage of 75.6%, so that should help the defense. But Indiana actually shot 70% from the free throw line last year, which isn't great, but it's better. And if we're assuming the same roster is coming back, I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot better than 70% from the line if Trace, Race, and Jordan Geronimo are taking the majority of our free throws which they would be, along with X. And X is fine. He's a good free throw shooter. But if those guys are taking the majority of free throws, you're just not going to be that great of a free throw shooting team. You're not going to be Villanova, okay? So I would almost, if you gave me the option to book 70% for next year, I might think about booking that too. So that's why I think until we get some different guys in the program, I just don't think you're going to magically make those guys better shooters. Like, again, I'd love to see it. Let's see some player development. I would love to get out of this thought of not expecting guys to improve as shooters from year to year. We've just been conditioned to expect that. But that's where we are. And so I think the most likely path is doubling down on what we do well, which is 
two-point field goal percentage, offensive rebounding, and utilizing the strengths that we'll have if that lineup comes back. So there we go. A very detailed answer, but it was a good question. Uh, better than mediocre question, so we were happy to answer it. Uh, let's hit a few more of these quickly here, Coach. From IU Artifacts, do you see another internal promotion happening to fill the position of Director of Basketball Operations with the departure of Benny Sander, who went to Rhode Island to work with Archie Miller? Or do you see him looking elsewhere to someone who he has ties with? Man, I don't know how to answer that because I don't know. Um, maybe I should know the pecking order of who was on, on that staff. Uh, I'll just say from a, a macro perspective, if you have someone that – was here and you're comfortable with that's an easier transition than maybe spending time going out and bringing someone in to get him into how Indiana uh, does things, but it, it has to be someone who's talented uh, and and trustworthy in that position. Cause your Dobo is a, is a pretty important uh, position. So I wonder um, if a guy like Adam Howard could, could do that. Is he ready to step up? He was, a, he was a manager, right? This year. Yeah. I I wonder if he'd be ready to step into a role like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know enough about the the inner workings there um, to really be able to answer. As I mentioned to IU Artifacts, I think he should apply. I think he would make for a great <laughs> Dobo. Um, let's go. Let's see, Rick. When can we feel pretty safe that we know what next year's roster will look like? Uh, November 5th? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, Okay, when can you feel June safe? June 1st. Yeah, I think when you know when Trace, when, Tra do, yeah. when Trace is going to do things, and then it depends on how all this other stuff plays out because the portal is going to need to be worked uh, sooner rather than later, uh, and then summer workouts and all of that need to get going. Uh, and there's always – you could put your name in the portal any time, so there's the possibility someone could bounce at any time or come into the program at any time. Uh, but I'm going to feel a little more comfortable writing out depth charts uh, in June as opposed to the next couple of months. See, it's interesting. So we got a couple of these comments in here from Jim. I don't see the team being any better than this year. Struggle to be 500 in conference and struggle to make tournament. You know, uh, Melissa agreed. Man, I would say, again, we have to see what the roster is going to be. But if we're operating under the assumption, again, you know, that a guy like Trace comes back, that it's going to be kind of similar I just see a team that is still going to have some of the same weaknesses, but that projects to be better at the stuff it was already good at. And that makes me think this team will be better um, because I think it'll be able to be more consistent. I think a guy like Jalen hood Shafino fits the way that Mike Woodson wants to play better than Parker Stewart, even though Parker is a better three-point shooter. Um, I think having that Parker was not a playmaker at all. And I think what a guy like hood Shafino can do, or even more Trey Galloway, um, you know, as a playmaker, as a secondary playmaker on the court more often is really going to help us do again, double down on what we're good at because we had Parker shooting almost 40% from three point range. And you know, it, it, it didn't, there weren't a lot of games where that was the difference. You know, that's the thing. Um, now it was the difference in losing because he didn't make some at the end of games, but I just think, Again, I, I don't I don't see a path for this team like becoming a top ten team where it's you know got all its issues figured out, but I think it can be better at the stuff that it was already good at, and that is a path to being better. And I think you know as you know especially if they get a lot of these guys back, there's something to be said for continuity. As a lot of other programs like Purdue and like you know some of these other programs kind of have to reshuffle some things, and that can make Indiana better, quote unquote, just because in comparison to your main rival. So I do think I definitely see a path to that. If the right guys come back, 
The the other thing that I would say to that is if you look at the total and you look at the Ken Palm numbers I throw out, and it was the worst one in 25, the total, uh, if that whole team, that average of the whole year is back, I don't see it being much better. I agree with the people in the chat. What I am holding out hope for is the last 11 games. You you lose a close one to Wisconsin, who is seeded a number three seed. You lose uh, a game to Rutgers, who is in the tournament. You lose on the road to Ohio State, who is a high seed. You lose a, a game on the road at Mackey, where you were in right down the stretch, and, and you take a 45-foot bank shot to not go to the Big Ten Championship, and you beat Illinois. And the, So the end of the season, if that team makes incremental change forward, then I get, you're going to win some games that you didn't win this year. Uh, even if even if we don't improve a whole lot, you think that the the gel the of the team, uh, Coach Woodson finding his you know second year vibe as, as a coach moving into college, I, I just think that uh, we're not going to go back to that five game losing streak. We're not going to go back to losing those twenty point leads. We're going to build on what those last eleven games are. To move the program where we need, though, we need better shooters, better athletes, and 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 play with fours that can shoot the threes. And I think that's what Coach Woodson wants. Uh, but it takes some time to get there. Uh, and meanwhile, play that defense, build on those last 11 games where Indiana was really, really good but had some breaks that didn't go their way and maybe – they just didn't play well in, in crunch situations to lose some of those tight games. But it was a lot more enjoyable the last 11 games than it was at a lot of points during the season. Yeah. And again, these conversations about, hey, you know, could this team be better at the stuff it was already good at? It's contingent on three things. X being back, Trace being back, and either Race or Jordan Geronimo being back. And again, I'd love to get all of them back. But it's contingent on those things. If you remove one of those from the equation, this conversation changes. And obviously, we're sitting here not knowing the final answers on any of those things, but eventually we will. Uh, let's see. We got a comment in here from RHCP for Life. What is up with Jared's hair tonight? Well, this is what happens after I've recently had a haircut. And I was up, a, I, was, I did not get much sleep last night. Uh, we're doing some sleep training with my son. And last night was a particularly difficult uh, evening for this. And so I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. And so this is just kind of my bedhead and didn't shower and didn't have time to do anything. So if it looks a little odd, uh, that is why we, uh, you know, going through this, I'm just, I'm, I, it's a good thing. I at least threw on a shirt. I was wearing some ratty old shirt right before I ran over here. I was like, I should probably at least change my shirt. Someone needs to create uh, Jared's hair Twitter account. <laughs> and you get so many comments about your hair all the time. Uh, um, and then the last question here before we move on. Uh, from Valerie, early in the season, there was some talk of IU playing in a tournament in Madison Square Garden. I haven't heard anything else. Crickets. I haven't either. Look for the schedule to change. Uh, yeah. I think one of the lessons that needs to be learned uh, going forward is when you don't play a strong non-conference schedule, that almost cost Indiana a bid to the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Andy and I were saying that at the, when the schedule came out. We said it when they played the schedule. So whether we play in New York or wherever you play, I know Kansas is up, I think, next year, and you got th those things. You have to play better. Richie wants a Coach Tonsoni hair Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just uh. jealous. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go here. We just answered some questions. Coming up in our third segment, we're going to answer some more questions. 
We just focused on some IU basketball questions. Now we'll focus on some other ones. Who should the Pacers target in the lottery? A fun IU basketball hypothetical and other stuff. Stick with us on this one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. That was fun. I, I see you, Tyler. Hey, look, I, I have to say, and I don't, I'm not sure how much we talked about this on the show in February, you know, just because we didn't have many assembly call radios, and so we're so focused on the games for the post-game show. But I know we talked about it in our chat some, which was, you know, is it, and this was when Trace was really struggling to do some of the things that we know he's capable of doing. You know, is it time for this program to, you know, to move on and to to try and find an offense that isn't, you know, based around a guy who is, you know, going on the block and kind of inconsistent. And that was just the way Trace was playing. And my feelings on that did a 180 over the last seven, eight games of the season because we saw what that ceiling can be. We saw what this offense can look like with X and Trace doing their thing. And I think any conversation about Indiana being better without Trace is absolutely silly now because we just saw what this team can be. And it was by far the best version of the team when he's playing like that um, and operating like that in the offense. And so then if you can, you know, get a guy like Jordan Geronimo, because that's what we saw. If you had Jordan or race playing well alongside with what X and Trace were doing, Indiana was really, really tough to beat. And I think that'd be, I would love to see that formula for a whole season. And that would be the big question with Trace, you know, because as talented as he is and as productive as he's been, he's been up and down throughout seasons. Could he come back as a senior, similar to what Yogi Ferrell did as a senior, right? Where his legacy was very uncertain after his junior season. But he came back as a senior and was awesome, you know, was consistent. And that team went through its struggles early in the season. And he kept it going and was great. And can Trace be that guy and, you know, kind of put, you know, these last seven, eight games from last year, put together a season that's like that. You know, now he's leaving a legend just like Yogi did. And he's carrying this team forward with it. 
So, you know, I, I understand, I guess, um, where some people are coming with those discussions. Cause I think we had some of them privately, but I just don't think you can watch those final seven, eight games and still think that I just, I don't, I don't see it. So, well, it, it, to me, it comes back to scheme. If you want a low post banger who you throw it into and let him do the crab dribble and then go through someone and score TJD's not that guy. Right. I think that's where his low two point percentage came from because he did a lot of that feed him in the post. And then he, he just, that jump hook wouldn't be on um, those things. Once he got put in a lot more uh, face-ups where he mm-hmm. was catching and, and doing what we call the Sigma move and then driving and scoring or the, the lobs, those are things that he excels at. And I, I believe if we go back and look at, they did more of in that last segment, uh, of the season when when TJD started playing, but you also realize that TJD was didn't play very well the first half of the Michigan game and, and got lit into by Coach Woodson, and then he had then he had a good run. So your your concern about you know that consistency, uh, but part of that is scheme, and I think I think you know a, a lot of times we as coaches we think we have the right scheme and then you go back and you watch film and you look at stats and like okay man that didn't work out we need to do something different and, and i think good coaches then evaluate every year what what should we do differently and i think you the use of tjd if he comes back has to be a lot different than just feeding the post you notice they went to trace a lot or race a lot when they had an advantage a smaller four was guarding race they went to race with the post-up game who i thought was more efficient with his back to the basket in the low post. Yep. Um, but that was an advantage because he was on smaller fours. I don't know if that would still be there if, if he's in, in the five position. But, I, Jared, I think the Big Ten, part of everyone talks about what the commissioner needs to do to make the Big Ten better. I, I think college basketball in the Big Ten is post-dominant with the back to the basket post. And when you get outside of the, the Big Ten, you don't have that as much yes i i think baycott was a five and and kansas had mccormick i mean you can win that way if you've got the right guys around them but but the fours were different that's the thing you you didn't have so were the guards (laughs) yeah well bill self used to do the two posts and do the high low um invert stuff but then you know self inverted the offense at the end because they weren't scoring in the low post with mccormick and they got they were down 15 or 16 second half he inverted the offense and brought the 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 five up high and posted a guard, the Braun kid and drove the Braun kid. And they got eight quick points and got, got Kansas going. So that's where um, the scheme has to be evaluated. I know coach Woodson came in with some ideas to utilize the players at their best, but obviously statistically and and watching it, it wasn't a very good offense that needs to be adjusted. And, and I I'm pretty sure that he's well aware of that. In fact, I know he's well aware of that. And that's why he brought in people down the, you know, uh, Whitman and everyone else like this isn't working what can we do uh and, and I think we'll just continue to see that get better and look at what Kansas and North Carolina had on the wings you know I yes. mean, Brown and Obagi they're both going to be first round picks they're versatile they're athletic they can shoot they can drive and same thing with North Carolina you know RJ Davis is a difference making point guard and Caleb Love for as inefficient as he is you know, you talked about, do you have a guy that can get in the lane and make tough shots when Caleb Love is going well, he's making those little scoop shots and just being, you know, an athletic baller that can go make plays. It was know? said on one of the, one of the, um, comments of Kansas, they are multiple driver. Uh, they drive the ball from multiple positions. Yes. Um, 
and, and that's puts pressure on. That's what our they starting a great lineup three, did not do. Yeah, they weren't a great three-point shooting team. They got yeah. hot in that semifinal uh, and hit some big ones in the final, but they were multiple drivers, which then makes McCormick a, a, a dish, a lob, an offensive rebounding threat, and getting those twos, as you said, in different ways than just that back-to-the-basket power power post game that, yeah. that we tried to do a lot in the first half of the season. But you need yeah, to have and, multiple drivers. Yeah, well, and, and like Tyler said, you know, you need race to become like Brady Manick. And that's the thing. I mean, Kansas North Carolina were playing great. They were multifaceted. Their lineups made sense. They didn't really have a lot of weaknesses. Now, Carolina had weaknesses all throughout the season, but they really didn't in that starting lineup as they move forward. And I don't see a path for Indiana to be there yet because I just don't think the roster right. – is quite there, but they can get closer, you know, and some of the guys that are coming in, you know, I think I, we have a fairly decent idea. I think of the role Jalen Huchifino is going to play. We don't know what CJ Gunn and Caleb Banks are going to do, but those are the kind of guys that you project forward two or three years that you could see in that national championship game. You know, CJ Gunn is a guy who can get his own shot, who can elevate and make shots like an Abaji, and Caleb Banks is, you know, an athletic an guy who can face the basket and he'll be able to play in a game like that. Maybe not next year. That's, but that's what I mean. I just think it's going to take a couple of cycles of recruiting to turn the yep. roster over enough to where we don't have some of these glaring holes. Doesn't mean we can't be better next year though. Cause I think we can be okay. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's hit a few of these questions. Probably be pretty quick. This segment chat mob. If you have anything else you want us to address, uh, please pop it in there and we'll talk about it. Here we go. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Thank you, Romeo. You are listening to the assembly call. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and we are answering your questions. Uh, we are kind of in this awkward period of the offseason here where the season is over. And we still don't have decisions from some of the key players. So we don't really know what the roster is going to be like. So there's a lot of speculation and talking and it's all fun. You know, I think, you know, coach, sometimes it can feel like these conversations are kind of meaningless. And yet I think they are an interesting way to have good basketball conversations, you know? Okay. So let's assume this personnel set, what can this personnel set do? How can they be better? What's the best way to use them? Eventually we'll figure out what the actual personnel set is and we'll talk through some of those things. And, you know, so it's, it's still fun. I think it can still be meaningful. Um, but you know, obviously we're waiting to get the final decisions to know what this roster is going to look like. But in the meantime, we can answer your questions. Uh, and in segment two, we spent a lot of time answering questions about IU and what the future of IU looks like. And now we've got a wide range of questions because this is an Ask Us Anything episode. Uh, and we'll get some here from the chat mob as we go forward. But let's hit some of these that were submitted ahead of time. This is from Luke. Here's a what-if scenario. If you could bring back any former player since 2010, who would it be and why? I think I would have to go with Jordan Hulls just because I'm so ready to see another great three-point shooter on the team. But Yogi was my second choice. Who are you taking, Coach? And I guess I'm bringing, did Luke say? I guess it's to play on this this year's team. I'm bringing back Aladipo for that second side driver. Get to the lane, dunk over people. Yeah, that's who I'm bringing back. 
I know the three point. I can't disagree with Luke. Bring back some shooters. I mean, look, uh, holes would be nice. You know, and Oladipo obviously proved he could shoot. I think you can make an interesting case for Christian Watford because of his versatility and shooting from the four. But I think ultimately, give me the best basketball players and the best athletes. I'm bringing back OG because putting OG at the four as a driver and a defender, like I'll just, I know that, you know, as a, as a three point shooter in college, he wasn't as polished as he is now. And so you wouldn't get that same jump, but I'm sorry, man, just plug OG into the lineup, the way that he was playing as a sophomore uh, before he got hurt. I'll take my chances with that guy. Um, That's a good I think call. I'd be really hard pressed to not take him because now you probably do have the number one defense in the country. If you've got OG, you know, I think, yep. I, I think sometimes the shooting, I don't know. I guess I could go a couple different ways on this, you know, cause it feels like we've kind of been recruiting and arranging our rosters that way where we've sided with, you know, give me the athlete and the guy who's good at defense and we'll figure out the rest of it later. And then we end up looking around and being like, we don't shoot, so we can't win. And so maybe there is a good argument for just take the shooters and figure out the defense part of it and all that other stuff. And we've already got good athletes. I'm just saying if I really had to make this decision, um, it would come down to Victor and OG. And I think I'd have a really hard time not picking OG because he's no Troy Williams. so good. I mean, <laughs> I, There's okay, a driver. I love Troy, but... Do the so the player comp the the player comp that came to mind a lot as I went through this season is Trey Galloway is a lot like Troy Williams right now, like yeah. there's good Trey and there's bad Trey and there's some games where he's giving you that spark and he's driving and scoring <laughs> and there's some other games where he really struggles to like get in the flow and I think there's actually a decent amount of similarities between those two guys and if Trey can improve his three point shooting in his junior season like Troy did. That would be really big um, for this program. So. I just really, Luke, this is a good question because I want to bring back Sheehy when we win <laughs> at Purdue just to flex on them damn <laughs> Boilermakers one more time. Oh, man. <clears throat> There's so many great players. I'd like to bring back Thomas Bryant and have a five-man who can make three-pointers. I mean, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. We've had some great play. I mean, I know it's been a rough time, but I do enjoy questions like this because we really have been blessed to cheer for some really good players. Like the teams haven't always coalesced very well, but we've had some good players and a lot of them are playing in the NBA right now. I mean, you know, you can make an argument for Romeo, bring him back. James Blackman, James Blackman, knock down some shots. <laughs> Would Woody <Please>. play him? <laughs> oh, yeah. He wouldn't guard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> James, okay. if you're listening, that's okay, man. We need threes. We do need threes. <laughs> don't, don't worry about your defense over there, wherever you're at. Just keep shooting. Keep shooting. Um, you don't get your name in a paper for garden. You get your name in your paper for dropping 30. Yep. I don't know. It's hard because I guess if Jordan Durant, if you have, if you're asking for this season and if you have Trace Race and Jordan Geronimo, then I probably wouldn't pick OG because you could probably get more maximum impact somewhere else but og is i just i don't know i feel like he i mean he's just such a marvelously talented player um he was the first guy that came to mind but you have to see what the you can't take eric gordon you can't take calvert cheney it was since 2010 after yeah yes um okay those would be good though from chris with a football team getting a commitment from shane mcmahon uh who is the grandson of vince mcmahon i believe what kind of IUWWE cross promotion would you like to see? Were you big into wrestling? I'm not a big I'm not big into wrestling. 
I wasn't either. I, I, I can't answer this question. I know. I can't either. And we I do t- have The Rock, though. Yeah. He, Chris he was said a wrestler. he's thinking a stone-cold stunner on an opposing coach such as Fran McCaffrey or Greg Gard would work well. Now, I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm all for that, Chris. That, you can drop those two dudes anytime you want. <laughs> Did you see Iowa scheduled a game with Bethune-Cookman earlier today? Yeah. Really really padding that. Also, it was funny. Someone tweeted out that uh, Fran McCaffrey, like on his radio show, had confirmed that uh, – Who's the the younger son, Patrick? He confirmed that Patrick McCaffrey was coming back, and then Patrick McCaffrey retweeted him and said, I can confirm that this is not confirmed. That's got to be interesting playing for your dad at the college level with as much pressure as there is. <laughs> it's got to be interesting. Um, Brian says, question I've been saving for the offseason. Does Assembly Call have to pay Stephen A. Smith a royalty every time Ryan says, quite frankly, on the show? No, but maybe we should. Hopefully they're not going to come for back pay. Stephen A. isn't a pimple on Ryan's ass. Ryan is so much better than Stephen A. Give me more, Ryan. (laughs) Pay Ryan, Stephen A. You steal everything from from my guy in San Diego. I would love to see those two guys debate on a sports show. Talk about a couple of guys who don't like admitting when they're wrong. Ryan's never wrong. <laughs> In his own mind. Um, okay, David King. Regardless of your NBA fandom, who do you think the Pacers should select with their hopefully top five pick? All right, so I'm not a big NBA guy. So I did look up the draft uh, where, where Indiana is likely to draft, and I saw the guy from Kentucky and, and then Keegan Murray from Iowa, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't wish that upon anyone. Although – as a player, I think the, the Murray kid, 6'9", can shoot uh, if he can guard NBA. Uh, if he's if he's ranked in that that area, uh, I, I think that's good. And I, I saw where the Pacers have a second pick in, in the in the first round, and one of them was predicted to go to a guard and one was going to a forward. So I think they have some options there uh, at that early pick. Let me ask it to you this way, because a lot of a lot of mock drafts I've seen, you know, based on where the Pacers are likely to get a pick have Jaden Ivey going to the Pacers. What are your thoughts on Jaden Ivey's pro potential? I, the most interesting comment I've heard about it this was from Mark Titus, who said, Jaden Ivey is probably overrated as a college player and underrated as a pro prospect, which I thought was interesting, in that his game will fit better in the NBA and some of the limitations that he may have at Purdue and some of the things that may have frustrated him won't be. And I say that because it made me a little bit more open-minded to my opinion on Jaden Ivey. And maybe I just saw him on the wrong days, but I just, I didn't Um, quite get it with him. He's a phenomenal athlete and offensive player, but I just don't fully get it as the overall package. I think that, I think that's what the NBA is. And again, I'm not an expert at all. I watch way too much college basketball, not way too much, a perfect amount actually, but I don't watch any pros and uh, now when the NCAA tournament's over, now I'll start watching some pro pro ball. So I don't think that I'm really a good person to comment on that. But he reminds me a little bit of Ayu. Um, you know, questionable, uh, not questionable three, but can knock down some three, but wasn't just a pure three, but had great athleticism. And I think Ivy's quicker, um, quicker with the ball. And Ayu was drafted in the second round 
and wasn't thought to be uh, a likely G League back and forth. Those And he's playing major minutes for the Bulls and has really done a good job for the Bulls. So I think that's an example. Uh, Ayu is more, I, I think, praised as a, as a college guy all around. Um, but I just think he's talented. He, he can shoot. He, 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 you can't teach that level of quickness with the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the NBA just kind of, it's the same thing like they saw in OG. OG was hurt that year and they still drafted him high because they saw the, the physical uh, potential of, of his game. He's a lot different than, than Ivy, but boy, if you have something physical, that is a benefit, the NBA is going to take their, take their chances. So, uh, yeah, I, I, all I've seen is Ivy four five, six, which is in that pacer pacer range. And I think that's where he'll go. And I think he'll be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the, the comparison of Ayo is a really good one. It's clear. He's talented enough to be a lottery pick. And I'll, yes. I'll, this will probably be an old takes exposed thing for me because Ivy will probably end up being awesome. But I, when I see him at four, I just, I don't know, I wonder. I guess there's just kind of a gut feeling I get watching him where he didn't seem to be fully bought in and he seemed to drift in and out of games and he didn't seem bought in on defense. And maybe all that stuff goes away in the NBA, you know, and obviously offensively he can be breathtaking and do things few other guys can and he can make big shots and do all of those things but this you know my you know my dad has been a scout for 20 years and so i also know how much work goes into getting to know these guys personally and getting beyond just what you see you know and the the short the small sample size that you get to see on television you know going to practice watching warm ups talking to people about them so I don't want to unfairly chastise the guy if the impression I'm getting from watching the game isn't accurate to who he is. Just from the information I've gleaned from watching, I would be hesitant because it just feels like there's something missing. Um, but there's certainly nothing missing I, from an offensive perspective. I, I won't awesome. I won't comment anymore because I don't want to be accused of liking that other school up north like I'm always accused of of liking. When he plays off two feet, He's really good when he gets sped up and tries to do too much and hit home runs. That's when he gets in trouble. That's what you saw against St. Peter's. He was trying to play that, that hero ball in his mind. He had to do things at a certain speed. And when he did that, he wasn't very good. There were games where he played off two feet where he scored and he made others better. Uh, the defensive end is always going to be a liability for him right now. And, and he'll have to get up to speed. But a lot of kids coming out of college uh, might might be that way. But, you know, the NBA drafts for potential. Uh, if he hits, it's going to be a good pick. Um, and, and you see a lot of lottery picks that they take him and, you know, a year or two later they're off to someone else or before their, their four-year contract or whatever that is, they move on. Um, but I think he's worth a, he's worth the risk because if, if he, if he can be taught the NBA game, he's got some physical abilities that, that are that's hard to coach what order would you draft the three big 10 guys murray davis and ivy and again i i think murray just six nine can shoot uh can do multiple things um i would draft him first ivy second i'm not sold on davis i think i think davis uh he wasn't the same after his injury uh I think he's capable of of shooting and scoring. I think the other two can be dominant one-on-one. -on -one. I think 
Davis might have been part of a system that gave him opportunities to get open or drive closeouts or whatever else, where those other guys are just physically a little bit more gifted. All right, and real quick here from Richie, who do you expect to have a better year next year, Archie at Rhode Island or Michael Lewis at Ball State? By the way, I've loved the videos, the, the little practice videos with Michael Lewis. He seems awesome, man. I haven't seen those yet. I, I oh, just man. saw the little bit of the press conference. You're going to love him. Um, You'll love him. I think he's going to do so well there. It. I, I don't know. And a lot of it depends on the Jimmys and the Joes that are coming back. Uh, first-year coaches are going to – it's always tough. But but what, what do those coaches have going into those programs? I, I think they're both good coaches. Uh, and I know – I get in trouble here again being too pro Archie, but Archie can coach. He just got uh, in over his skis with with all the other stuff here at at Indiana. But um, uh, I think I, I think both of them. You're welcome, Arch. Uh, and I just think I'm going to be excited for both of them too, because regardless of of what happened here or that Lewis didn't get a call or whatever, you, know, you, you kind of want people to to be successful. I'm not rooting against Archie by any means, and and really excited for Lewis because I want him to get a good six, seven year run and, and be ready if, if needed. Every bracketology is a children's show. It's a children's show. Can't believe you still uh, support him. If you watch Sesame street. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, my, he's my dude, man. I like him. Even though he called our stuff a children's show. It is. I take high school students to a TV show. That's exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the, the ISC Sports Network Delphi Bracketology <laughs> Show. It was a children's show. Uh, Rodney says, why aren't there any more halftime shows during the season? I really miss them. I do, too. Um, I would blame the fact that uh, my wife gave birth to another child. That is really, <laughs> really, if we boil it down, that is really the reason why there are no halftime shows. Um, it's just, honestly, it's it's a little bit harder now Um because really there for about four or five years, I mean, when we were doing games, I was able to like block out a five hour window to just focus on the game, focus on the show, do all that stuff. Now, a lot of times I'm watching the game, but I've got a kid with me. I'm doing bedtime. So I'm missing like a half hour of the game and then coming and fast forward and trying to catch up or I can't even be there. And so that's really the reason why it just hasn't really been feasible with the way that things are at our house. And maybe in the future it can be because I did really enjoy doing the halftime shows. Um, but halftime is usually spent doing something else now. Uh, and I don't really see a way around that at present. So that is why. And yes, that is the last child that we are making. 100%. That is it. All right, coach. I think that's all we got here. Any final thoughts? Did I miss any good questions in the chat? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Well, that was fun. We were able to extract, I don't know, 90, 90 plus minutes of conversation out of a week where not a lot happened. So that's, <laughs> I'd say that's that constitutes good. a good offseason show. You know, in, in all seriousness, though, and we I've said this an awful lot, and I know you feel the same way, uh, the community and, and the chat, we get a lot of good questions um, yes. that really help us in section in our segment three and when we do the the ask me anything shows like today, when, when it is a, a relatively slow off season, th there are a lot of really good questions. And some of those we don't like to answer, like, you know, got to pick between race Geronimo and trace, but, but thanks for that because it gives us an opportunity to state what we 
what we believe and talk basketball. So, uh, you know, thanks out to all of you for, for your questions. Absolutely. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you ever want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. As always, we thank Bob Thompson for producing the music that you hear on the show, and thank you to John Ringer of Rig Design for designing our logos. And thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back with an emergency episode if we get some news, but certainly next Thursday night with a new episode. Until then. Take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Boom. All right. Well, glad that worked out, Coach. Yeah, thanks for stepping in on that. I beginning. Ah, That's happened a couple times. Um, once I hit record on, um, the audio hijack that that's happened a couple times where hmm. it kicked off my headphones or kicked off the audio. So I, I'll just have to make sure I double check yeah. every time. Yeah. And I was I trying to do them. just a quick practice before. Yeah, I should do that. That's Ugh. lack of preparation. It happens. Not bringing my, not bringing my a game. It happens. All right, I'm going to go get this over to Ari and then go try to get some sleep here until... Hey, how about little Teddy cooperating? He went to bed basically in time. Game ball. popped up at all. Game ball to Teddy. Game ball to Teddy. (laughs) Game ball to little Teddy, sleeping sleeping like a champ right now. Also, game ball to Charlie for staying up this late and listening to Charlie Trump. He's making fun of my hair, so I'm going to give it back to him. (laughs) Thanks, Charlie, for staying awake. Uh, Appreciate it. And to Megan I, for being here with all the stuff she has going on right now. Oh, oh geez. And we're getting spammed. At least they waited yeah. till the end. That One of my goals, Jared, is to travel down south. I think Charlie lives in southern Indiana. I want to do a game watch with Charlie. That'd be awesome. Drive down. If I have some free time, I might just go and do that to a few places. Just get the okay and stop by. Make it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> all right. All right, y'all. We'll see you on Twitter and in the community and all those places, and then be back here next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.